Do you remember the articles that popped up during the pandemic? 21 virtual day-night ideas that'll keep you sane, or 41 date-night ideas for quarantine. I remember trying to watch movies on these sketchy apps that we downloaded that were either really awkward because you were made to stare at the other person's face while watching the movie, or the connection wasn't quite right so your movies wouldn't start at the same time, not to mention sound. But about a month in, I knew I needed inspiration and that's how I happened upon some of these articles. I'd like to think of myself as a creative person, so my proudest idea was to make a customized guess who board instead of having random cartoon faces. I put pictures of our mutual friends. And for those of you who've never played guess who before, you're supposed to ask yes or no questions and narrow down your opponent's pick. So for example, you could ask, do they have blue eyes? And you'd eliminate all the people depending on the answer. I thought it would be fun to have mutual friends because you would be able to ask questions like, would you take this person's dating advice and eliminate based on what you know of your partner? Now that restrictions are lifted, most people who were forced into long distance or remote relationships are no longer in that situation. But I wonder, how are those who are still doing long distance? Welcome to Self-Help Junkie, the podcast where we explore the world of personal development through the eyes of book enthusiasts. I'm your host, Eric Ng, communication coach and your resident bookworm. This season, we'll be focused on developing our romantic skills, but before we dive into the conversation with our guests, let's get a one-minute summary of the book. Letting Go by David R. Hawkins offers a simple yet profound method to liberate yourself from the emotional baggage that's been holding you back from happiness and self-realization. Forget the cliche of surrender as defeat. Here, surrender is your empowering path to personal growth. Hawkins dives deep into eight emotions, apathy, grief, desire, anger, pride, courage, acceptance, love, and peace, revealing them not just as feelings, but as energy in motion. When you suppress or ignore your emotions, they linger, forming a bottleneck to your energy energy flow. Imagine frustration about a situation you ignore. It doesn't just vanish, it lurks within, clogging your energy. Hawkins is all about being overdoing. He argues that your state of being, your consciousness, and your thoughts and feelings matter more than a frantic pace of constant doing. Want abundance? Feel abundant first. Seeking great relationships? Be grateful for what you have now. Aiming for health? First, embody the person you aspire to be. The core of surrender is not giving up, but embracing what is. It's about letting life flow naturally without the need to control or change it. And with that, let's dive in. Today, we're welcoming Charlotte Dallison onto the show. She is a writer and soon-to-be author of How to Be Fabulous. She's originally from New Zealand and has lived in the UK, Italy, and is currently in Australia planning her move to LA. Welcome to Self-Help Junkie, Charlotte. Hello. Thank you so much for having me, Erica. I'm so excited to be on this podcast. Yeah, I'm excited to hear all about the things that you've done in your life because in our pre-chats, you (laughs) seem to have lived a very interesting life. But (laughs) I came across you from an article that you wrote about your current relationship, your current long-term relationship. But when it comes to long-distance relationships, it seems like you're a bit of an expert. (laughs) Well, I'm certainly in the throes of one. So I suppose I'm becoming an expert. But actually, when we did our pre-chat, I Mm -hmm. remembered that I'd been in other long-distance relationships. Not quite this extreme or quite this kind of good, frankly. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) (laughs) but, um, 
Yeah, so I suppose I'm an expert in that sense. Definitely the 10,000 hours has been done. Yeah. (laughs) So when you said that not this extreme, does that mean the other long distance relationships were a relatively shorter long distance relationship? Yeah. Well, um, there were more kind of chapters, I suppose. I mean, one relationship Mm. I was in, um, I'm like, gosh, I hope my current boyfriend doesn't listen to this. <laughs> I'm just going to sit here talking about my exes. But um, one relationship I was in, uh, he sort of half lived in Sydney where I lived at the time. Mm. Um, I live here now as well. But, um, yeah, um, he lived between Sydney and New Orleans, as mm-hmm. one does, um, totally normal. Um, but he would kind of dash off for a sort of a month and then come back. So, and that was sort of a permanent way of being for him. So it was something I had to get used to. Mm -hmm. But in that, I got to go to New Orleans, which I still think is my favorite city, probably in North America. I know you're Canadian and I haven't actually been there yet. And I'm very much looking forward to going there one day because I do think Kiwis are the Canadians of Down Under. Um, So I relate to you guys, but, um, but yes, New Orleans is extraordinary. It's such an unusual city. So I got to go there, which was great. It wasn't the right relationship for many reasons. But mm-hmm. um, And then the second relationship I had, so I've kind of had three major ones, one being the one I'm in now. That was with Guy, but there was a period where I lived in Melbourne and he lived in Sydney. So it was a more mm-hmm. manageable distance. You know, it's an hour-long flight and it's kind of a normal thing to do, I suppose. But right. yeah, we managed that as well and... Um, Obviously, we eventually broke up. And now I'm in this situation where I live in Australia, sort of temporarily, but I'm back here and I'm moving to LA for love, but mm. also for myself, because I do think there's a huge opportunity there for writers. And I want to do, you know, something bigger, I suppose. So, yeah, yeah that is um, what's been happening. <laughs> and hopefully they have good vintage shops too. Oh, um, they definitely do. I mean, yeah, it's better vintage, better varieties. It's just sort of bigger and better. You right. know? But I think that's really interesting that you've been in all these different long distance relationships. And yes. I, I think that definition of long distance can really be relative because... Mm. I don't know. For me, when I was living in Vancouver, if someone lived an hour drive away, it didn't seem that far. That's still within the city. But now that I live in Bali, if they lived an hour away from me, they would be on the opposite side of the island. And at that point, you're like, I guess it's not going to work out. It's way too far away. (laughs) That's such a good point. And I think it's also like what kind of mode you're in. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I've met my boyfriend traveling. So Mm. there's kind of a... I mean, both of us were away from where we live. So I think there's this like traveling theme to our relationship and to us. I think we're both quite intrepid sort of people. So we're here to talk about long distance relationships, but you've brought along a book with you that you came across before you came into your current relationship. What drew you to this book? The the book is called Letting Go. I sort of see it firstly, because when you asked, you know, please bring a book. I was like, oh my God, what one am I going to pick? Because I love self-help books and I've read so many and I've basically just written one. Now I'm working on a proposal for one that's kind of a literal self-help book. But the reason I picked Letting Go was one, because I think it is like the ultimate self-help book. I feel Mm. like, especially for self-help junkies, it is something that um, kind of encapsulates everything. But also I read, I actually listened to this one on Audible. I listen to a lot of self-help books for some reason. I tend to listen to nonfiction, then read fiction, like, you know, in a paperback or whatever. But um, 
But yeah, I I listened to this book as I was leaving Melbourne late mm-hmm. last year, about to go on this big trip, which was to do a writer's residency in Italy. And it was um, to complete the manuscript of the book I have coming out in November. And I was packing up my flash and I kind of knew something was about to happen. Like I had this feeling. I also was letting go of a lot of stuff because I was sort of setting things up. So when I came back from Europe and I was going to go to New Zealand for summer always because I missed out on a lot of time with my family over the pandemic, I let go of a lot of stuff so I could set up and kind of be mobile and you know, either go to Melbourne or Sydney when I got back. So I had to literally let go of like furniture. Right. Um, (laughs) But I think that in listening to that book, I was more open. Yeah. I was in a sort of clean slate kind of place. Mm. And I do think that is part of the reason this relationship came into being. Right. And I was reading through the book and to be honest, it was mm. a bit dense for me. It's it's intense. It's, it's like a textbook. lot. <laughs> kind of, it's kind of like boring too. It's like, just listen to it on Audible, lazy version. Like, like me. <laughs> I think it's one of those things where you need to digest it. And as a person Especially. who runs a self-help podcast, I don't have yes. time to like in between chapters no. read through. Um, but I did get to... Just for people who haven't read the book, it goes through a bunch of different emotions and he does a deep dive on each one of them. And then he recontextualizes it in the later chapters in specific situations where these things might come up. Um, So was there any specific thing that you were mm, particularly drawn to within the book that you maybe learned something or you were like, oh, God, I've never thought about it that way before? Well, I think firstly, he does kind of reframe certain things, which makes you think, oh my God, because there are these emotions that he names, Mm -hmm. which are sort of common emotions that we all experience, but his definition of them can be quite jarring in some ways. Um, So for example, like there's the scale, as you said, and then the sort of the lower vibe and the higher vibe. Mm. And he like also puts these numbers with them just to make it more complicated. But (laughs) when he was speaking about grief, which obviously is something that everyone has to face at various times, he was sort of saying things like kind of the slightly selfish nature of grief, Mm -hmm. like not nature, that's not the right word, more that that, that there is a selfish aspect of sitting in grief Mm -hmm. for too long. And I was like, whoa, when I listened to that, because that, you know, that's not a nice thing to hear. And before I went away on this trip, I'd had a terrible breakup sort of a year and a bit before that. And I did wallow Mm -hmm. for sure. And that is part of the reason I kind of got so into self-help because I really didn't want to sit in that place. But when I read that chapter, I remember thinking I was in that sort of self-indulgent part of grief for a little bit too long. And yeah, so it can give you these wake-up calls and really have to face yourself and be like, why did I wallow in that? Or why couldn't I just ascend? Why couldn't I let go? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I'm glad that you brought this aspect up because it was something that as I was reading, I also recognized in myself in the relationship chapter, he talks about anger. And I've always prided myself. I always feel like, 
I've never been an angry person. Like I've had moments of being angry, <laughs> but that's just like I go into sadness more than I do anger. But he mm. mentioned these lesser forms of anger where it's criticism, criticalness, resentment, sulking, stewing, and negative judgments. I felt so called out. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I hundred exactly. percent do this these things. Out. Sure. <laughs> I think that's the thing. And this is why I say it's like kind of a book you need to almost graduate to because mm. you have to kind of have the strength and the knowledge to <laughs> be able to put it in perspective. Otherwise you can be like, oh my God, I'm awful. You know? Right. <laughs> but I think when you have been working on yourself a little bit, then you're kind of ready to hear that stuff and really face yourself and take responsibility for your own life. Right. Um, which, you know, it, it's hard to do that sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And you're, you're totally right. I think that having read so many self-help books, there are some that are very general, like trying to apply to yes. every aspect of life. But this one really, really focuses on emotion. And one of the things that you had mentioned was that you want to be able to move through issues from an emotional level rather than an intellectual level. Can you tell us a little bit more about yes. that? Yeah, well, actually, this is something that um, came up during therapy. God, I do sound like a mess talking about all this. Not a stuff. mess. You are self-aware. <laughs> yeah. But um, I I realized that something I do as a bit of a default, a default is sort of pathologize things. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, this happened because of this and this and this and this mm -hmm. and explain it to myself. Like it's, it's kind of the scientific, you know, I relate equation. to yeah. yeah. But actually when you, what he says in this book is like, as you let go, you're breaking it down to the core of the issue and pinpointing mm -hmm. the emotion. So it might be that you're feeling sad but your reaction is one of frustration and anger mm. and you can pathologize in that sense. But when you actually get down to it, it's sad. And it's not even like a union con concept where you're sort of connecting it to like a childhood memory or something like that. It's more like just finding out how you're feeling and then actually feeling that feeling and then mm. letting it go. Because once you get to the core and release it, then it does fade away. Yeah. Right. I think that makes a lot of sense in terms of, how you want to move forward. Because even mm. if you tie it to a childhood thing, like this is what happened to me. These are, these are the reasons why I'm so frustrated yes. in this moment. You're still feeling <laughs> those things. It's not like you could be yes. like, Oh, I know why. Therefore I no longer feel this. So to actually fully sink into it and allow yourself to feel it allows you to then move on from it afterwards. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the essence of the book, basically. Right. <laughs> right. And I mean, th so you said that this book specifically helped you let go and you were a clean slate when it came to your new relationship. Were there any moments within your relationship, maybe even early on, that you still had that grippiness of not wanting to let go? Oh, yes, definitely. <laughs> and I still feel this way mm -hmm. a lot of the time. I mean, you know, I I think that this kind of concept is something that probably takes a lifetime to implement. Um, yeah, so I think definitely. But I think that now because I've, you know, read a lot of these books and read this book, I can recognize things sooner. Mm -hmm. I seem to get out of these cycles quicker. 
that's at the moment. So yeah, I do feel kind of like I've improved or something, but I also feel like these patterns are really deeply ingrained and they're also, you know, innate to me to an extent, part of my personality or my astrological chart or, you know, (laughs) my trauma, whatever it is, whatever's made me who I am, my blueprint. It's like, yeah, I think I still have these reactions. Um, But yeah, I think tools like these, once you sort of learn them, you get quicker at kind of cycling through them. It sounds like in general, like all of us, we're all just algorithms and programs. So we yes. keep doing the same thing over and over again. Exactly. Is there is there a pattern of yours that you've noticed yourself being better at letting go specifically? Hmm. Yes. I'll tell you one thing. So I, I think that as a writer and I think for any working creative, like whether you're an artist or an actor or musician or whatever, we often have the tendency to over-identify with our work. Mm. And I used to crumble when I would get rejected, which is such a huge part of being a writer. And even Mm. now, you know, I do have a book coming out. So I'm starting to like taste small bits of success. Mm -hmm. I still get rejected constantly, but I used to take it as a personal rejection. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I'm, okay, well, even if the writing wasn't that good, like there are other elements. It might be a timing thing or a trend thing or, a, you know, just to do with that specific editor or whatever. But, yeah, I really used to take them personally. And now like something I'm actively working on is being like, well, it's not about me. It's about that specific mm. piece of work. And it's okay for that to be criticised because in putting myself out there, it's going to be criticised but um, yeah, that is a passion, I think a core bad passion that I'm really working on. And I have noticed a big difference. That process, if someone else is going through something similar to that, it's the mindset change of it's yes. not me, it's the piece of work that I have or whatever it is. Yeah. And what is that process for you? Is it recognizing that you're feeling something in your body and then being like, I got to go meditate <laughs> for two hours? <laughs> well, I mean, I think I, at this point I have lots of tools like that, like meditation and things like mm. that. But it is partly that, like dealing with the emotions coming up at the time. But I think it is a mindset shift ultimately. Mm. And it's thinking, yeah, this isn't who I am, this mm-hmm. piece of writing that got rejected you know, and even other things like being someone's girlfriend is not who I am, like Mm. all of that stuff. We over-identify with these things so much. I think even beyond creatives, I think creatives do especially, but yeah, everyone does. Even, you know, in a lot of people's Instagram profiles, it'll be like mom, like sister, you know, vegan. It's like, (laughs) you're not like you are you. And I think that's kind of the thing I'm trying to like embody yeah like the essence of you is separate to all of these things and once you shift that in your mind you do find you can cope with stuff like that yeah that's definitely an exercise that I've played with in the past before Mm. like how do you introduce yourself to someone without telling them where you're from what you do and your relationships how do you describe (laughs) yourself have you ever tried this before (laughs) I haven't tried that specifically. I think that's a great idea. I'm going to put you on the spot right now. How would you describe yourself if you can't do those things? Oh, no, Erica. Yeah, I'm like here, like preaching this theory. I have no idea. I mean, all those elements that I over-identify with are important to who I am. But I do think I'm, um, I'm someone who 
has again like I don't think contradiction's the right word but I think I'm someone who can be both grounded and centered but also live out of a suitcase for months on end which is what I've been doing and so I think I'm flexible but also need a sense of stability I think that's a big part of my essence and I think again like I'm serious but I'm also silly mm-hmm. and sometimes even like with what I eat, like I'm healthy, but then sometimes I'm not. (laughs) So I think I've got this kind of balance of um, things going on. And when they're in balance, I feel great. And when they're out of balance, I don't feel great. I think that's kind of my essence. (laughs) You're human. It sounds like I'm very human. human. (laughs) Yeah. That's a good. I should have said that. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's yeah. get into the long distance part yes. of things. So I think when it comes to long distance, some people just immediately back away from it. They're like, mm-hmm. heck no, that seems like a lot of, I don't know, just it doesn't seem the ideal situation for a person who's been in three different long distance <laughs> relationships. Do you have a different perspective? Um, well, I do think that as soon as you're kind of with the right person, Mm -hmm. um, that rules go out the window, Mm -hmm. like, you know, when you kind of read like articles about dating or or, like books about it and it's like, oh, this article says you should not have sex with them for like a month. And then this one says, just do it on the first date. And, you know, this one says you need this. And so you're getting all this like contradictory information about this sort of stuff all the time and all these rules and like, oh no, you need to be assertive. Oh no, if you need to be in your feminine, you need to be like receptive. And it's like, oh my God. So you're kind of going into dating in this day and age with like all of this stuff. And even with dating apps, they've got like the screener to them. I'm um, as you're talking about this, I'm like thinking back to Regency era where had they yes. had these like ridiculous etiquette books. And yes. I'm imagining historians looking back and being like, look at all these rules. It <laughs> is such a good point. I I definitely think that historians will think we were ridiculous. Because <laughs> we are. But I yeah. feel like, yeah, so I think that I mean, look is it ideal to go out with someone who lives not just in a different city, but like on a different Mm. continent? No, I mean, it's really hard and you're signing yourself up for something tricky, but yeah, it's, it's not a deal breaker for Mm -hmm. me, obviously. And I can understand why it's off putting, but I also think like, I also sort of have this belief that if it's meant to be, it will work out, Mm -hmm. you know? Right. So so yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and one of the things that you mentioned had been that every opportunity that might seem like a bad thing can be turned into a moment of growth. And yeah. as a person who had a very short long distance relationship, I remember just a lot of insecurities coming up because mm. you're not constantly around that person. If there isn't a hundred percent trust, you're worried that they might be off doing something else. And yes it was terrible to feel all those things, but it was also an opportunity to really reflect on myself. If I need to be around that person to feel like I can trust them a hundred percent, is that really the relationship that I want to be in? Yes. Well, I think if you're feeling sort of a little bit fragile, Mm. it's really easy for your mind to go down those sorts of Mm. 
avenues. And I think that um, it does bring a lot of stuff up. And I, I do think, though, ultimately for long distance relationships to work, you need to have some kind of light at the end of the tunnel where mm. you will live together. And when that is and where that is, is entirely down to the couple. For us, like I will be moving there. So we've got that. But I think you also need to do a lot of front loading mm -hmm. with this sort of stuff because it's a big deal. It's a big deal to move across the Pacific Ocean. It's okay. hard to get a visa. It's, yeah. you know, there's a lot of stuff I'm going to, I'm in the midst of contending with and still have to contend with. And so there's that, but also there's, you've got to be a little bit more sure whether this person is worth it because it's right. like, you know, if you're leaving work. your friends and family and sense of security behind, which again, I want to do for reasons beyond the relationship too, but right. you, you need to feel sure. So I think it's also recognizing those things as they're getting triggered, dealing with them and seeing whether it's them or whether it's you, whether it's both, it's usually both probably, mm -hmm. but it's yeah. it's tricky and you've got to like sort it out straight away. For sure. And one <laughs> it's of the, good though. There's no room for complacency. Definitely. You know? One of the things that you mentioned in your article that I found very interesting was the remote mm. couples therapy. Yes. So, I don't know. For me, when I think of couples therapy, it's like people are on the brink of divorce. Yes. <laughs> it's all going <laughs> horribly. Got like five children, you know. They're like, we're trying to make it work. Or something like that. <laughs> yeah. I know it's so extreme and I have to say because look Australians and New Zealanders we're not very I mean people here definitely go to therapy but it's not really as much of a thing in the sense that people don't talk about it so openly mm. like in Los Angeles everyone's like it's like you know a very normal topic but here people are like god you know get it together mate <laughs> like it's that kind of attitude which there is a strength in that attitude sometimes there is that sort of just like get on with it right. kind of attitude. And so when I talk about couples therapy to some of my friends, they literally roll their eyes. They're like, for God's sake, like <laughs> you, you guys don't have any problems and you're so in love. <laughs> and I'm like, I know, but, you know, I am into this sort of stuff clearly. Yeah. Um, and also that is the kind of environment I'm going to be living in soon. For sure. So I think that, yeah, but the remote couples therapy, so we're doing it on better help you know that mm -hmm. app which gets advertised a lot but it's um it's actually been really good but basically what we've been learning is these like techniques mm -hmm. which you probably could learn from a book I don't know um if there's a book with these specific techniques but um yeah in communication because I think the hardest thing to especially if you're in a long distance relationship the way I am now where we spend intense periods of time together and then mm. intense long periods of time completely apart it's a real pendulum swing so you have to learn how to communicate and right. under both sets of circumstances because neither of them are particularly normal you know but we have actually learned some specific tools too. One is called reflective listening, which is amazing because if you're like in a bit of a heated moment, like an argument or something like that, you can, um, you basically like reflect back what they've just said. So you kind of repeat it and it's a way of like stopping you in your tracks. So when you're listening to them, you're actually listening to them. You're not just like thinking of your retaliation or response. And also it's a way, like, if you explain it back to them, then they'll let you know if you haven't quite got what they're trying to say, if that makes sense. 
Um, so reflective listening is amazing. And then we also learned this thing called the fair fighting tools. <laughs> um, and there are like 24 of them. It's really long, but, um, yeah, they're just sort of tools that are focused on fairness basically, rather than like people winning an argument or whatever it may be. Um, and a couple of the biggest takeaways from those I've, one of them is about not tallying up. So not, um, thinking, well, I traveled to you last time and this time you're traveling, you know, it's obviously you want a relationship to be even, but it shouldn't feel like the sort of bank balance that you're having to like match with the other person the whole time, because sometimes the circumstances mean that you just have to do what each of you can and you're both doing it because you love one another. It's not because it's a tit for tat sort of dynamic. So I think that tallying up thing has been really amazing. And I think that couples, whether they're long distance or not, that's a really good rule because so many people do that tallying up thing. And, you know, that's often like, if you think of a divorce, it's all divided up in this sort of tallied up way. And it's, I don't know, it's kind of not very natural or conducive with like real love. So um, that was one rule that I was quite like astounded by because I was like, oh yeah, that's really important. Um, so there's that rule. And another rule was that you don't bring up things from the past. Like I know that a lot of fights with a lot of people are often just the same, like, fight being regurgitated but I do think that if you if you're in the midst of conflict or miscommunication it's important just to focus on that specific miscommunication or conflict and just try and sort it out and then hopefully it won't come up again and if it does come up again not to use like the past arguments as ammunition because the fair fighting rules basically they're all about the goal being happiness and harmony rather than um, somebody winning, you know? Right. So yeah, the therapy thing, I mean, I was very reluctant to do it because I think it was, oh, yeah. I partly had like a lot of judgment about it. And the same oh. as you were saying, it's like, you got to be some sort of like couple <laughs> on the brink of complete and utter like disaster. Right. Right. <laughs> Not sort of this like lovely new lovey-dovey feeling, but it goes back to that front loading thing. It's sort of like, okay, well, if we really want to be together if we're really going to do this sure. and we have to kind of you know make sure we've got all this in place as well so sure no I, yeah. I totally I'm living in Bali so when I greet yes. a friend it's like hey how are you doing how was your therapy session earlier yes. today <laughs> it's very opposite of Australia um but yes. I, I think that well, Australians are still into it I mean it's still modern and everything but it's just right. there is a bit of eye rolling which I totally get I mean right. I do it myself and I'm literally the one <laughs> <laughs> right. But I do think that that is so important. Like you were saying, you're in these extreme situations where you're under a magnifying glass. So yes. it, it you need to be able to sort those things out or else you're not going to have a chance. Totally. <laughs> One of the other things that you'd mentioned in the article, which relates to this other fact that I have. So someone was doing a study. They said that people in long distance relationships appear to have a higher amount of relationship stress. I think we can both agree to that yeah. and less sexual satisfaction and more difficulty remain, uh, maintaining their relationship, um, than other people who live close together. <laughs> so 
This is obviously a very sexy topic. Uh, I personally, when I was doing my year of long distance, this was definitely something that we tried. I don't know if we successfully cured. We did like dirty talk. We would text. <laughs> but like you, I am kind of a prude. Like just the yes. idea of dirty talk over a phone and scheduling yeah. it just makes my <laughs> my fingers curl scheduling path it's like oh my god like in your google calendar like phone <laughs> set thursday the suits us both it's kind of like oh my god <laughs> it's makes it's sense ridiculous. for our time zones <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> but it's yeah that element of it is go on I feel like I interrupted you <laughs> no 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 attention <laughs> so I mean that is something that I had trouble with and even when we were doing those things the physical just hugging touching yes. snuggling those were definitely the things I missed and in your article <laughs> you mentioned uh investing in a remote control vibrator <laughs> Can we, can I ask how that got into the article? Like, is this something you stand by? <laughs> well, in that article, so I, I write, that's for a magazine in Australia called Mamma Mia and it's mm -hmm. a big lifestyle website. And um, the woman who started it used to be the editor of Cosmo Australia mm. like years ago. So it's got a bit of a kind of grown up Cosmo vibe to it, sort of Cosmo for mums. Mm -hmm. That's such a thing that. <laughs> Um, so they love talking about vibrators and stuff like that. And so my editor asked me to put something about like long distance sex in it. And I was like, okay, well, write this thing. And I sort of was like, oh, I don't really want to say this because I'm a prude, but I'm also <laughs> like read books about Tantra, you know, again, mm. it's that, con that nature I have where I'm kind of both. Um, but yeah. I, she sort of forced me to write about it. I sort of didn't think much of it. And then right. when they promoted the article on social media, it was like the caption on Instagram. <laughs> of course and it is. It was like far out. That is, and there's like a selfie of me and my boyfriend is the picture. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm like, oh great. I'm like the face of this vibe. <laughs> um, which to be honest, like don't use that much, but it's that, uh, the sexual part is challenging. I have mm. to say, though, when we're together, it's, like, great. I mean, mm. I won't go into detail, but I definitely feel like our sexual compatibility is amazing mm -hmm. um, and just sort of seems to get better. So I don't feel like the distance hurts that, um, mm -hmm. but it is hard. Like, how do you maintain that when you're apart? And it is pretty – it's not impossible, and obviously there are all these, like, accoutrements you can invest in now. <laughs> But it's not really something, um, yeah, it can sometimes go on the back burner a little bit. And for I think sure. for us perhaps it's because we know it's great in person so we don't need to mm -hmm. kind of force this calendar for right. right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I think that when it yes. comes to other aspects of your relationship, like for emotional support, it's easy to turn to a friend for that. And mm. maybe a friend could also give you a hug, but there are just some things yes. that are off limits. As yes. you were talking about how you are like prude, but also read Tantra, I think it's time and place, right? Mm, how totally. comfortable you are doing something in private is totally different how you want to present yourself yeah. to the rest of the world. Exactly. And I think um, writers now, mm -hmm. 
you know, we are in this age of sort of oversharing and I certainly mm. overshare, but I think I still have some boundaries which are sometimes broken. And I think there's this expectation, well, you're a writer, so you've signed up to this, so mm. you have to talk about this. And, you know, there's a slight scarcity around writing because um, there's only so much work and, like, the internet sort of devalued mm-hmm. it and everything. But, um yeah, there's sort of this expectation if you are like a millennial who writes for a lifestyle publication, then you have to talk about vibrators. And yeah. I've realized in actually doing that that I don't really want to do that mm. <laughs> so much. Um, but yeah, in in the proposal I'm doing at the moment for this new book, which hopefully will be picked up, um, I've written like a chapter proposal for sexual empowerment for prudes. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Because yeah. <laughs> I think probably a lot of people feel like me, but for me, what I find really unsexy is anything that's forced mm. or like kind of contrived. And I feel like um, the nature of this dating app stuff and like mm. dick pics and like, I mean, I just find all of that to be such a turnoff, you know? For sure. It's not hot. Um, no. So, yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's very attention-grabby now, right? Like, they want to have yeah. those things that shock you, like, 45 ways to get them yeah. off without <laughs> using yeah. whatever, right? It's, it's, yeah, shock value. It's sort of – and, you know – so often with these digital publications, like I don't write the headlines, mm. partly because I'm not very good at it. I have to say, I'm not very good at writing titles, but the editor just does it and you don't really get a say because everything's so high mm. speed and high volume. So some of the titles for some of my articles are so ridiculous. <laughs> I feel so sort of embarrassed, but I'm also like, whatever, like no one's going <laughs> to read it unless it's got something right. grabby and stupid right. as the title. <laughs> so is writing the like writing your books is that a way for yeah. you to start to take more control um in your writing process? Well, yes, I mean, certainly when you're working with a publisher, especially when you're like relatively unknown, you are at the mercy of a lot of other people and the market and everything. Um but that is ultimately what I'd like to do mm-hmm. um partly because I really like long form content. Mm. Um I don't, you know, resonate with things like TikTok and stuff. I I always find that after I've been on TikTok, I don't really have a TikTok account. People send me stuff <laughs> to look at. Like I've got a Gen Z sister and she's constantly sending me stuff. But I always feel dreadful after I mm. it's like eating junk food but then if I read a book for the same amount of time I feel so good after doing it so I mean that is enough of a sign to say that I'm a long form kind of person Mm -hmm. but yes I do think it is a sense of ownership um and I I'm trying to figure out a way at the moment I'm doing like a big brand overhaul of Mm -hmm. myself as sort of a freelancer um and like my internet presence, I suppose. (laughs) Everyone has Um, to do personal branding. Um, Exactly. But I'm trying to think, yeah, how can I take more ownership of this and how Mm -hmm. can I monetize it? So I'm making, um, you know, a healthy income and not exhausting myself. So I think um, the books hopefully will be a part of that. But I also think books, you know, there are no guarantees and they take a lot of time and a lot of effort. And again, there's a lot of front loading. Mm-hmm. You have to do a lot of work at the beginning 
to get those happening. So, and there's no, yeah, there's no guarantee of what will happen with them, but they do feel a lot more cathartic Mm -hmm. um, to do. So I've written this book that's coming out and then I've also written the first draft of a novel, which I still, I know still needs a lot of work, but um, like that in itself was a huge feat. And then now I'm writing a proposal for another nonfiction book. Um, So yeah, it's just something I want to keep doing and hopefully make a career out of because that's sort of what I see myself doing kind of forever. <laughs> yeah. But we will not define ourselves as just an author. We will continue yes. describing ourselves in other ways. Exactly. Um, I do still have a couple more questions before we wrap up. <laughs> so one is how to keep emotionally connected while you're far away from each other. Yes. Well, I think um, having some like structure can help. Mm -hmm. What's tricky for us is not only do we travel to see one another a lot, Mm -hmm. but we travel independently of each other a lot. Mm -hmm. So it can be really hard to make that happen. But I think if you're committed and you have like some sort of date night, Mm. um, you know, remote control by a bread are optional. (laughs) So when you say date night, what kind of activities have you guys done? Is it more casual, like watching a movie together like you would do when you're in the same city? Well, I mean, you know, site. PTSD from the pandemic, like all those things (laughs) that we did with our friends on Zoom. Um, We don't actually really do that. More it's like a dedicated hour and we're on Zoom. So it's like, you know, still and focused Mm -hmm. rather than just being on FaceTime, which is a bit Mm. more casual. And it's just sort of really connecting and catching up. And sometimes we'll do things like eat or whatever. And you can, you know, watch films at the same time. Mm or something like that. But I think it's more just about like making time to consciously connect, (laughs) which (laughs) is really important and then be able to turn to them. One thing that's really hard, honestly, is just the time difference. Like sometimes if I've had a tricky evening, but it's like the middle of the night in LA, I can't call him. And that's Mm -hmm. really hard because sometimes I feel I really need that. And I'm sure it's the same in reverse. Um, So yeah, but it's just consciously doing it. And kind of keeping on communicating about the communication, like what's working, what's not, Mm. what feels like a waste, what's interrupting. I mean, one of the hardest things though about being in a long distance relationship is you never quite feel like you are where you are Mm. because you've sort of got this part of you in this like distant place. Um, Yeah, especially for me, I suppose, because I am the one moving there. So Mm -hmm. I I feel pretty unsettled at the moment, but I'm trying to, like, find ways to stay centred. So, yeah. (laughs) Right, yeah. I mean, makes sense, like, making time for each other, making dedicated Mm -hmm. time and communicating, whether that be if you're having trouble and you can't call them at the time, would you do something like – text him something long that he can read in the morning do you voice note do you wait until he wakes up it's like I need you right now (laughs) I mean I love uh, an essay text again (laughs) long firm form person (laughs) I think everyone in my life finds it excruciating um (laughs) oh sometimes I send him an essay but sometimes I just have to let go that he Mm. like letting go Mm. that he's like not 
available and mm-hmm. I have to talk to someone else. So mm-hmm. I'll just call my sister or a friend instead. Um, right. And I think there's like a healthy element to that too, though, sure. because in life, you know, we can't rely on just one other person, whether it be a partner or a friend or whoever. So it's good to like be reminded that there are other people I can go to, but it does, it is tough. It does um, kind of remind you of the distance, those moments. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've always been a serial monogamist and I've always lived very close right. to the person that I was with. And it was because mm-hmm. of the pandemic that uh, the one relationship I did long distance for a while, that's why we were separated. And yeah, during that time, I that was one of the benefits, learning how to be an, a person with emotions <laughs> without another person to lean on all the time. Yes. And I definitely built much stronger friendships and allowed people in. And then thankfully when we broke up, that meant I had a lot of friends <laughs> yes. to talk about that with. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I think actually in the relationship I'd had prior to this one um, and we had this dreadful breakup and it was in the midst of all the lockdowns and everything. Cause in Melbourne we had six lockdowns um, and it was, I think it was like the worst in the world. Like we had the most days inside yeah. or something like that but um I I had always maintained my friendships throughout that relationship and my friends like really showed up for me Mm. at that time because it was really bad that was also when I closed my shop and Mm. my granddad died in New Zealand and I couldn't go back and I was really sick I like had to go to hospital or something and you know it was just like every element of my life was kind of imploding um so, yeah, I'm really grateful. And I think it's a reminder you do need to keep friendships up, not because you're going to break up with this person. <laughs> I mean, hopefully you won't, but they're just as important. Right. Yeah. It's definitely healthy. And on that note, one of the other things in your article was befriending other long distance couples. How do you yes. find them? <laughs> yes. Well, it's sort of the thing, you know, if you like have something on your mind, mm. um, you suddenly see it everywhere. Like I remember like I, I feel like this is sort of a teenage obsessive kind of thought, but it, we'd always be like worried about getting pregnant and because it was a different <laughs> time. Now right. my friends are like trying to get pregnant. Right. But it's, um, I don't know, I feel like maybe it's part of our sex education too, but I remember like suddenly becoming aware of pregnancy and him walking down the street and everyone was <laughs> pregnant. And then, like, equally, like, another time I had this really serious injury and I was actually almost paralyzed and there's no medical explanation as to why I'm not. Do you know what? I actually think that incident is part of the reason I do do these things and just go mm-hmm. for it because I it gives you sort of a sense of fearlessness when something right. like that happens to you. Um, but I remember after that experience, I would just look around and see so many people in wheelchairs and that were disabled and stuff. Um, those are two quite extreme and sort of downbeat, <laughs> um, <laughs> like examples, but in the same vein, since having this long distance relationship, I've really noticed when other people mention it and it's much more common than you'd think. And I think also people might not be in a long distance relationship now, but the origins of their relationship mm-hmm. might be long distance. So they might've had a chapter. I know my sister and her husband, they were together and then they spent about two and a half years doing long distance, wow. knowing she would always come back, but she had a fantastic work opportunity. So she went and, you know, they visited each other. They were very committed to it, mm-hmm. but, um, and they were really young actually, but 
I sort of forget that about them because I right. see them as being so sort of joined at the hip, but um, they, yeah, they did that for like a long time, years. And mm. so I, I, it's not to say heaps of my friends are in long distance relationships mm-hmm. right now, but I do know a lot of people who've been in long distance relationships. And, right. and even if I'm speaking to sort of more of a stranger and they'll be like, oh, yeah, my husband, you know, I met him, blah, blah, blah. I'm just sort of like, oh, and I really listened to it. Right. Whereas in the past, I would have been like, oh, cool. <laughs> right, right, right. And it might have gone over my head slightly, but yeah. Sticks a little bit more. And I, I like that idea yes. of like, it doesn't have to be that they're going through the same thing right now, but yeah. just shared past experience can, it, it, they're more likely to be empathetic to whatever you're going through and be able to give yes. good advice. Yeah, and I think it's also helpful to see them now being kind of mm. successful and together. Right. Um, it's like, oh, yeah, it does work out, you know. Um, yeah. I, I think whatever you're sort of thinking of you and looking for, you often mm. tend to find. So, yeah. Sure. Well, on that note, let's come to a close. Uh, thank yeah. you so much for your time today. I My hope pleasure. you enjoyed I did. Thank you. If people are looking for you or your future books, where can they find it? Well, I'll give you a pre-order link to my book, actually. You can only buy it in Australia and New Zealand in Mm -hmm. November. Um, Hopefully it will come out internationally after that, but I'll send send you the link so you can put it in the show notes. But beyond that, I'm just at Charlotte Dallison on Mm -hmm. Instagram. And I have a website, which I'm reworking, um, <laughs> which is com, And I also contribute to Mamma Mia a lot. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed, send this episode to a friend who could use the advice or someone who would have a great listen. If you have thoughts or tips that you'd like to share, please do at Pod on Instagram, Twitter, or Gmail. I'll see you guys next time.